we're going through the Gospel of Mark, and we have been for a, a little while, um, and we'll continue to for a little while. Noah is going to operate the Scripture, uh, which will appear behind me here in just a second, and I'm going to read from, from my Bible. And uh, if you have a tapestry Bible around you, I would actually encourage you to use that because that way if I bore you, you can keep on reading the Bible and I think that's much better than listening to me anyhow. Uh, And it's on page 715. We're going to read verses 33 through 37 of the ninth chapter of the Gospel according to Mark, which says the following. They came to Capernaum. When, When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and he had him stand among them. Uh, Taking him in his arms, he said to them, "Whoever, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now, guys, I get made fun of by some of you every now and then because of this. But I don't say anything new. I I know I repeat the same stories over and over. And yes, I'm smiling at you, Drew, because uh, we talked uh, talked about this today because you said you mentioned that story before, Robert. Because I say the same stuff over and over and over and over Because realistically, while what Jesus taught was revolutionary, he wasn't teaching anything specifically new. He was taking what what the Father had said in the Old Testament, and he was tweaking it a little bit. The difference between what Jesus was saying and what many of the rabbis were saying was that Jesus was really living it out. Truthfully, if Jesus had just said this stuff and had not really lived it out, he wouldn't have been a threat. Uh, It wasn't his words that did it. It was the fact that he actually lived those words. Yes, sir. Exactly. Uh, If you ever see one of the one of the the movies that is a um, a gospel movie and they try to just limit Jesus to what he just says in the New Testament. Jesus comes across almost as a mute because he doesn't say a lot uh i mean jacob's right we have much more of his actions than we do of his words not that we don't have his words but uh scripture is pretty honest on hey every word that jesus ever said was not recorded in fact if it was the whole earth would not be able to contain all of the written uh, account of that we have more about what he what he did than what he said which makes what he said all the more powerful Because what we're going to talk about tonight was not somebody who just was saying something nice. He was saying what he was already living out. So here's what I want to hit on first is this. I love the fact that the disciples are just like you and me. And that is they are stupid. (laughs) Maybe maybe I'm being offensive by saying you and me. The disciples are just like me. And that is they're stupid. Uh, Because there was something, if you remember last week. Jesus said something and scripture was just completely honest that the disciples didn't understand it at all. If you look back, here's the verse. um, And basically, this is the statement 
concerning what Jesus said. And Jesus described the fact that he was going to die and that he was going to rise again. And the, the, the scripture says the disciples did not understand what he was talking about. Now, sometimes we forget that scripture is put together and it has a purpose on things. The gospels are not biographies. They are not meant to be biographies. They are meant to be statements of faith. They are statements to help us to believe in Jesus, not to just tell us all the details of his life. If it was a a true biography, it would stink as a biography because we basically know nothing about Jesus from the time he was probably about two years old until he's 12. And then we know nothing about Jesus from the time he's around 12 until he's 30. That would be a terrible biography. But as a gospel, it is telling us the parts of his life that are necessary for us to believe the good news. And so they're put together with a purpose. And it's interesting that what we read last week talks about they didn't understand this. And then this week is all about them arguing. And what were they arguing about? Yeah. Yeah. They were literally not arguing about what they didn't understand. What was just said in Scripture on, hey, they didn't understand this at all. It's like they just... Get that out of their mind immediately. And it's fascinating because Jesus talks about the resurrection and then he kicks into this, this teaching, which is incredibly important because if you notice, it says, you know, he went to this house because Jesus was teaching. So it's like, I'm going to die. You need to know this. But the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. Anytime I can fit Muhammad Ali into a sermon, I'm going to fit Muhammad Ali into a sermon, Okay. <laughs> Especially, that's the Sonny Liston fight. You can't go wrong with that, okay? But, guys, it's just like you and I. See, they were a society that that valued... Oh, is he okay? I heard that one. Okay. <laughs> they valued power. Okay. Unlike anything we've ever seen. Okay, they had power symbols. Uh, you have a Roman culture that values power. Roman culture, you're, you're going to think, oh, their dress isn't that different because, you know, you got togas and such. But according to your rank in society, you had different insignias that you would pin onto your toga. And the ancient Near Eastern Jewish society cared a great deal about power and respect and place in, in society. Your your rabbis had this authority. And, and even things like, uh, we still do this with Jesus' teaching and such, but the position of people when they were teaching spoke of their authority. Now, I mean, look at this room. Who's standing? Okay, and I tend to sit down, and I do that truthfully, purposely. I have a chair, if for nothing else, just a reminder. But it's because this way I'm sitting with you. I'm smart enough to know that if I sit in a normal chair... Uh, then we can't really have this conversation because you can't see me at all. But I do this purposely. If you've ever been with me when I go to another church, I avoid the stage, which drives some of them nuts. But I do avoid the stage. But even then, there were power structures. Uh, The difference is they're just a little different from ours. When Jesus was teaching, he was probably seated and everybody else was standing. If you think of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, the whole reason for that that probably was so that Jesus could sit down and everybody else could stand and see him. They would have been below. 
But see, we don't have power structures at all. We don't have symbols of power in our life at all. There is never anything that we just do or people do just to say, hey, I'm powerful. Uh, we don't have, you know, my generation that was the power tie. Um, I'll go ahead and confess my weakness here. I absolutely love the celebrity apprentice. I do. I love The Apprentice. And the whole reason I love The Apprentice is because I will shout out at Donald Trump how stupid he is. And if you, if you, if you, if you doubt me for a second, all you have to do is look at my wife or my youngest son that are here because he drives me nuts and I enjoy being driven nuts by him. Yeah, he has wonderful hair. <laughs> but a generation ago, these power ties were important. But even now, we still have these, these symbols, okay? Like our clothes that we wear convey power. Uh, some of you people know if somebody's wearing an expensive suit or an expensive dress or something. Some of you ladies know people's, uh, people's purses. And yes, I know I could have gotten like a Gucci. I actually know one way of knowing if, if a Gucci is a fake one or not just because my wife mentioned it. It's not a Gucci. Okay, I just failed. It's a coach. Okay, all I knew was something about the seams. It's about the seams. But your purses and such, you guys, we have all of these symbols of power. And what do those symbols of power do? What is their purpose? It's to tell other people our place and their place. We, we see it all the time. Now, up here, your cars are not as true on that because everybody's car is going to rust eventually. But down south, what? Okay, but down south, you'll see lots of cars that people can't afford. You'll see actually lots of houses on stuff. Uh, if it, There's still symbols here. There's just different symbols. And the whole point is to convey their place versus your place. Truthfully, we do it in the church. I, I don't know every church you've ever been to, but I can tell you that that when we do the Lord's Supper, we do it unlike any Baptist church I've ever been to, um, but most Baptist churches I go to, I actually went to one three weeks ago and I filled in and it was their Lord's Supper uh, service. And uh, I had never done Lord's Supper with them before, but I automatically knew exactly what to do because the tradition is set up that it takes Jesus's words and then turns it into actually a way of status. Because what happens at a Baptist church typically for Lord's Supper is that the deacons take the, uh, the elements, the, the bread and the juice, and they feed them or pass it to everyone who is seated. And then the deacons bring it back up front and they will sit down. And the pastor or the head of the deacons will then serve all of the deacons, the bread and the juice while they are seated. And then, then the elements will be brought back up. And then the head of the deacons will sit down and the pastor will serve the head of the deacons. And then the pastor will sit down and the head of the deacons will serve the pastor. And suddenly the Lord's Supper becomes a status symbol. Because everybody in the church knows who is most powerful based on who is served last. We do this stupid stuff all the time. But Jesus was entirely different. And, and I don't think we're shocked enough. I don't think I'm shocked enough. That, that what he was doing and what he was suggesting, we get used to, even if you weren't raised in the church, you've heard, you know, and the, the first will be last and the last will be first. We've heard that type of stuff before. But it was shocking. 
It was, it was as though Jesus was asking them to do something that was completely foreign and completely alien. And by the way, instead of wearing clothes to church, you're going to come in your underwear. And you're going to be like, what? For, what? That's not a thing, Jacob. You really should not try the humor tonight, Jacob. <laughs> no, but it would be that shocking. Okay, we think of it as, oh, yeah, he said that, yay. But the disciples would have been dumbfounded. You know, one of those moments where you just kind of go, and you, you don't mean to have your jaw open, but you're just in complete shock because they would have been blown away. It went against every custom of the day, but that's what Jesus did because Jesus loved to take power and he loved to play with it. Um, one of the things, reading the New Testament, and I've read the New Testament many, many times, but reading it straight through right now, uh, one of the things that we talked about in our small group is like, it's almost like Jesus just tries to pick a fight every now and then. We're, we're reading, uh, we, read through, um, we read through the whole Gospel of Luke, this, not this past week, but the week before. And all of us were like, yeah, every now and then Jesus is just kind of rude to somebody. And he's almost invariably rude to somebody who's powerful. And it's like he's just walking up to him and thumping him in the nose. What you going to do about it? 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 Just, it's just weird because he really likes to take power and just flip it upside down. And we've gotten so used to it that we're not dumbfounded by it. But it really was incredible. And it still is if we really live it out. If you think about the things that he did, he, he would take, you know, you know the first and, and what did he say the first would would do? Would be last. He just flips it around. But then suddenly he, he takes strong and weak and he flips it around. And we know that he won the battle against sin and against death. And so we just think it's easy. But realistically, the whole story of the crucifixion is God gets defeated. And God dies. And then he defeats death by being defeated and dying. We know him as Christ, the victorious king, the one who wins. But we forget that literally the way he wins is by losing. I mean, I love the Green Bay Packers, but if they ever went to the Super Bowl, they were like, we're going to win the Super Bowl by not scoring any points at all. And we're just going to let them score every time. It's going to be zero to 127. And we would all call them fools and laugh at them. But Jesus took it and flipped it. He does it over and over and over and over. You can think about it over and over again. He really is Lord and Master. And yet the things he does cause his disciples to say, no, that's not the way you do that. And we get so used to it that it is not scandalous to us. But at the time, it was scandalous. So Jesus says that if you want to be a leader, if you want to be a leader in this, this kingdom that he's making, then you have to be last. If you want to be first, you have to be the servant of all. And he doesn't just say it one time. He says it over and over and over again. He's going to say it again in the Gospel of Mark. He says it in all the Gospels. Here's one example of it where he gets really, really specific. Because he says, you know, it's not so with you. And he's specifically talking about the power that the Gentiles have, that they lord it over one another. But it's not so with you. Uh, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever 
wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man. Now, here's the thing that's cool, okay? It'd be one thing if it was like, yeah, if you, want to be, if you want to be a leader, you really need to help those around you. But look at the terms he uses. If you want to be, what is it? If you want to be great, what should you be? And, and if you want to be first, you must be? Right, now, think of those terms. Now, we, we kind of treat servant like, like waiter now. But none of us ever go slave and think of it in a joking manner or in a nice way. I mean, if you want to be first, you need to be everyone else's slave. That should be scandalous to us. I think it still is scandalous because I don't think half the time we live it out. I, I know of churches where the pastor never spends any time with anyone because the church is so big that he's preaching different services. And I have an acquaintance of mine who literally has a security force that surrounds him after the service. After he finishes preaching, not for his protection, not because, you know, there are people in the church trying to stab him. That would make for an interesting church service. I'm not encouraging any of you to to try and stab me. Uh, I don't want that to happen. But literally, he finishes preaching and they're so worried that he won't get to the next service that there is a security force that surrounds him just to keep people from talking to him. I don't know. I think that's a good question. I can tell you this. He's an incredibly friendly guy, and it, I, I'd be surprised if he actually did like his job. He's a great guy. I disagree with, with, with the security force, and you know, let's face it. Those of you who are guests, you don't know this, but when we get to a certain size, the goal is to split and form another church. Um, I mean, if we ever need a security force, it's because I've ticked off you guys, and you're trying to kill me. Um, and then I'm calling all of the big guys in the room, okay? So I'm never ticking off you, okay? <laughs> Just saying, so you know. I don't know. But... He's not the only church or it's not the only church. I know of another church where they uh, they have a a service in one side of the town and they have another satellite church in another side of the town. And the pastor is literally flown by helicopter from one spot to the next. (laughs) Now, while I disagree with the theology of that, if you guys ever want to fly me in a helicopter, I'm completely okay with that. All right. (laughs) We could start a church down in Plover and you can fly me in a helicopter there anytime you want. Just because I'm selfish. <laughs> you give me a jet. Oh, that'd be even better. I'm like, or a little bit helicopter pack. I don't know. Why, why would I know the name? Of... So I don't know. I know I, <laughs> I don't know if they own it. Guys. <laughs> think about that though. Think about that. I mean, I'm picking on pastors, but I've been to plenty of churches where there were people of power who they they had the power because they gave money or they had the power because they had been there forever. They didn't have the power because they were cleaning the toilets. They didn't have the power because they were, were cutting senior adults' yards during the week or or sanding driveways. They didn't have the power because they were serving. They had the power because they were in this, this position of authority. And they took Jesus' first and last statement and conveniently ignored it. (laughs) 
really think about what Jesus was doing. And, and it's so easy for us to go, oh, but Jesus had it small. Well, yeah, at the end it was small. And at the beginning it was small. When, when he was raised from the dead, he probably had between 120 and 300 disciples. We know 120, but we're not sure if that was counting just the men or if it was counting everyone. But at one time, he feeds 5,000 men. 5,000 men may have been up to 25,000 people total. You're a pretty important person if suddenly there are 25,000 people following you. Especially when the world didn't have close to 7 billion people in it. And yet this man, this man who is God, says, if you want to be first, you have to be last. And he lives it out. Our Messiah, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, and we proclaim Jesus is Lord, we are proclaiming Lord a man who thought it nothing to wash other people's feet. He lived this out. In in the New Testament, it talks about the kingdom of God a lot. Jesus' first words, is he okay? Did he hit his head? Or Okay. Um, I would cry too if Adam was holding me, but that's just me. <laughs> oh, Jan liked that one. Uh, guys, it's called the kingdom of God. He describes his realm of, of living as the kingdom of God quite often. But we probably ought to call it the upside down kingdom because literally Jesus takes all of the, the, the properties of power, all of the, the Ephesus Effigies, effigies, there we go, of kingdom, and he swaps them around. Children would have been of no worth, nothing. They would have been something to ignore. And Jesus literally several times says, don't you stop those kids from coming near me. Pete, I think you, you mentioned this verse to me this week. Uh, and I may be getting, saying it's you and it's somebody else, but, but I was talking with somebody and they, they brought up the verse where Jesus says that if you cause one of these children to stumble, it was not you. Okay, it was somebody in the room. It is better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and to be thrown off a bridge. That's pretty vicious. I love the fact we, we treat Jesus as, as though meek and mild means he's wimpy. And then he says these statements like, by the way, you hurt a kid and you're going to be wishing that, that uh, somebody had taken a millstone tied it to your neck and threw you off a bridge because he valued kids in a realm where he should have treated them as though they were nothing his kingdom is upside down and yet still those of us who are followers of him and claim him as our lord we still live by the same standards as everybody else we still value the same things Right now, we're, we're uh, the small group I'm a part of on Tuesday nights, we're reading through Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and he describes charity. And his description of charity is, if you're not giving to the point that it affects your life, then you're not giving enough. And he wasn't talking about, oh, giving money to the church to support the church. He was talking about taking care of those who are weak and those who are needy and doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't affect your lifestyle, if it doesn't affect how many coffees you buy, if it doesn't affect how big a TV you buy, if it doesn't affect all the things we do, then we're not giving enough. And I don't know about you, but I'm not giving enough. He has this upside down kingdom and we are claiming to be followers of him.
And a lot of times, I don't live upside down. So, here's the thing that saddens me. I'll say it before I show you this photo. That we're not shocked by it. That we don't look at it and go, that's just wrong. (laughs) Because let's face it, when you're looking at that photo, that's just wrong. I I ride my bike and I run around the Green Circle Trail. And and Pam and I were doing that today and we heard these bullfrogs. And if I ever saw a bullfrog staring at me like that, I am running away as fast as I possibly can. (laughs) Because there are times where you look at something and you just go, whoa, (laughs) that's just wrong. We had a gentleman who walked up. I was talking with Devin uh, at the time. And and um, actually, and, and where's Jesse? There we go. And Jesse um, and was talking with him. And this gentleman walked up and was uh, hearing about Jesse doing some stuff. And then I looked back up and he's left. And I'm disturbed because it's like, why would a guy walk up and apparently grab the water hose and then leave? And I think he was getting a drink, but I'm not sure. I knew that it was just like, this is just not normal. But we don't look at the way the church is just like the rest of the world where we still act out that if you want to be first, then you fight to be first mindset. We don't look at that and find ourselves disturbed. I mean, there are examples in Scripture all the time where Jesus talks about, hey, if you're at a dinner party, don't go to the place of honor, but instead sit in the last uh, last seat. Wait for the, the host to come and say, no, you need to come here instead. But... Let's face it, we all know people who, when there's a photo taken, they go to the center of the photo because they want to make sure they're seen. Jesus' kingdom was entirely different. Which is why Jesus could say, you know, if you welcome a child, you welcome me, rather than, oh, by the way, if you welcome somebody of authority, then that's what the kingdom of heaven's like. Instead, it's like when you welcome the least and the insignificant, oh, you welcome me. And when you welcome me, You welcome the one who sent me. You welcome my father. So what do we do? I I think we forget this. See, the beauty of saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and saying that Christianity should be the way you live your life, not just a faith you do on Sunday. And if you look in our bulletin, and if you remember, you've heard this uh, in the member meetings. But, you know, we have these dreams that really focus tapestry. And one of those is to be a, 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 a people who does meaningful things. We don't just do something because a church does it. Uh, we want to be a, a, a people who live out our faith on more than just Sundays. We want to be a people who love greatly. But one of the beauties of saying that Christianity is about life is that means that anything that's true in the rest of life is, is probably going to be true in our faith also. But we treat our faith as though it's different. So I'll ask a simple question. Did I put him to sleep? I love that. <laughs> I'm going to sell my voice. Guys, if you want to be good at at something, what do you do? Yeah. Way to say it with such enthusiasm there, Natalie. Practice. She said practice. (laughs) Yeah, it is. If you want to be good at running, you, you practice, you exercise that gift. And you do it purposefully. You don't just do the easy thing. You push yourself and then you slow down and then you push yourself and then you slow down. You say difficult. You know, Spanish is easy. I don't know if it's easy for you, but you're good at it. 
Whereas I've taken Spanish courses several times in my life for approximately three weeks each time. Because after three weeks, I don't enjoy it anymore. See, if we exercise, if we practice. <laughs> can, you, can you read the small part? Okay. <laughs> if we practice and we exercise, we get better at it. And the same is true about being last. They hate it when I do this, but there's a group of people who come here two hours before church every week to set up. And, and I try to, to brag on them regularly, but then some of you tear down also. Guys, we should be practicing being last all the time. And not just here, but with our neighbors we should be be secret, you know, secret kind of spy type service people in our neighborhoods where it's like, who did this? I don't know. <laughs> who was it? No, it? It should be where people go, oh, well, if there was an act of service, it could probably be Jan because she does that stuff all the time. Oh, something good happened. I don't know who it was, but it might be Eric because he does that stuff all the time. Oh, wow, something weird happened. It could be Pete because he does it. it. It should be... <laughs> Wow, that's wrong. <laughs> Pete, I did not throw you under the bus. I was trying to give you... The, no, I was trying to give you a compliment. It was him. <laughs> did I say weird? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I meant something good. <laughs> I, did, I did throw you under the bus. I'm sorry. <laughs> Guys, we need to practice that. And it... It, to be completely honest on that, it would be weird because people are used to people being selfish. So, here's my encouragement before we sing. See, if we really serve a Lord who has an upside-down kingdom, if we really serve a Lord who takes the values of life and flips them, and he does it in this violent way that the world found destructive, a, a, a world that at one time was ruled by possibly the most powerful empire ever on the world, and they saw him as a threat. If we really do serve that Lord, then this week, you and I, we need to live in an upside-down manner. We need to not just think, oh, if I want to be first, I need to be last. We need to be purposefully last. What do you guys think? If you didn't hear it, Jan said, so is that putting everyone before yourself? Yeah, Jacob. Purposeful, um, purposeful uh, that, servants, then 
Um, I think it's well, it's not about you know liking ourselves or others more. It's about being purposeful. If we're purposeful, purposeful servants, then we can acknowledge our value as servants, and we can in that those like um, you know, so we kind of value ourselves through that function. I'm going to try and reword that and tell me if I... No, I'm not sorry. I think what you said was great. Um, Jesus definitely said no to some people. And they weren't bad. He said no to some really good things. There is a point where Jesus heads towards Jerusalem. It's actually, if you uh, hit around the 13th chapter of John, the whole purpose of that gospel changes at that point. Uh, the last part of, of John is all about he is heading towards Jerusalem and his death. And what Scripture teaches at that, that point is he turns away from healing some other people because he needs to go to Jerusalem. He has his purpose. His purpose is I'm following God in this specific way. And he puts himself last when it helps in serving that purpose. What you talked about, on was that a decent summary? Okay. And what you talked about in absurdity is anybody, if they knew you were a follower of Jesus Christ and you were really trying to live out last, they could just use you. I do not think Jesus was a doormat. Jesus made himself a servant that is different from somebody abusing you. But in theory, if somebody knew you were a follower of Jesus Christ who was trying to put him or herself last, they could go, oh, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You should give me that last Diet Coke. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You should go buy me some uh, a B, a GCB over at, um, oh my goodness, what's the place? Marvin's. If anybody wants to go do that right now, they'd be okay by me. Uh, they could use you, but it's not serving the purpose of you pointing them to Christ or you loving them as Christ would love them. It's just a matter of being used at that. And that is not Christ-like service. Jesus had no problem saying no. But he said yes a lot more than we think we, <laughs> we should say yes. Does, does that make sense? Okay, so before I end, does anybody have any, any questions, any thoughts? By the way, I thought what you said was really good. I was just trying to summarize it just a little bit. All right. Then here, here's my encouragement. This week, exercise being last. Don't just do it in the church. Don't just do it in the church, i.e. the body of Christ, those who are uh, believers in Jesus Christ, no matter where they are. Do it in Stephen's point. Don't just do it with those you like. Don't just do it with those it's easy to serve. But be last. Because when you put yourself last for the sake of Christ, you are showing that you live in an upside-down kingdom. And I don't know about you, but I like the upside-down kingdom a lot better than the rat race that is the world. If you need somebody to pray with, I'm going to be in the back. Pete will be in the back. Uh, anybody else who would like to pray with somebody can be in the back. Uh, but we're going to sing to the God who didn't just say the first will be last and the last will be first. He lived it out. <laughs> and that's dangerous. Pray with me, please. Father, help us to, to serve you by serving others. Uh, help us to be worthy of, of being called Christians by acting like Jesus. And help us this week to practice.
Show us how to do that uh, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our enemies. And then give us the courage to actually do it. I pray this in your name, in the name of your son, uh, the one who showed us how to do it, and the one who sent the, the power of the Spirit to enable us to do it.